Good morning. Good morning. This is Attorney Vince Davis. This show is Get Your Kids Back Now. The show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and the local levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning, everyone. Today we're going to be talking about um, one of the most important hearings in your juvenile dependency or CPS or DCFS called the jurisdictional and dispositional hearing. Technically, those are two different hearings in the juvenile dependency proceedings. But the Supreme Court of California has opined that the judges can do those hearings at the same time. In rare instances, a defense attorney defending a relative—excuse me, defending a parent—can request that those two hearings be done separately. Um, I like to do them separately, but I'm um, usually not. My requests usually aren't granted, and those hearings are done together. So usually, you have the jurisdiction—excuse me—the detention hearing. That's your first hearing, and there's a second hearing that most parents don't go to or aren't invited to go to called the receipt of the report date. They call it a jurisdictional hearing. And that's where you get the report from the juvenile dependency investigator regarding the allegations in your case. And most times, if not at all times, that report mimics the initial detention report that uh, tries to support or present evidence against you um, with respect to the child abuse allegations the social worker is making. If you don't agree with that, <clears throat> that report, you have the constitutional right to have a trial. And then you would most likely come back on a different day to have the trial. Now, there are a couple of things that I want to mention to you. If you show up for trial, and if you don't have any witnesses subpoenaed, and if you don't have any exhibits to submit to the judge, most likely, and you're going to lose. Now, what I've seen happen in a lot of different counties around California is they have trials by argument, and that's just where the attorneys argue, based upon the social worker's report. It is my opinion that if you do not have witnesses, you will lose. Number one, because argument by attorneys is not evidence, and the judge must consider the evidence before him or her. Your attorney just arguing something is not true or making a factual representation that's not in evidence is not going to help you. Therefore, you're going to lose the trial. Now, the trial consists of two components, and sometimes I get the feeling that a lot of people don't understand this. The jurisdictional hearing is where the judge must decide whether the allegations are true or false. And he must do that 
um, or she must do that by a preponderance of evidence. Now, preponderance of evidence is the lowest evidentiary standard uh, in our judicial system. I like to say it's more than 50%. If the judge finds that the allegations are false, the case is thrown out, and that's the end of the case. Have I ever seen that happen? Yes, I've seen that happen. The second part of the case is what's called the dispositional hearing. Trial is usually done at the same time as the jurisdictional hearing. At the dispositional hearing, the social worker must prove by clear and convincing evidence, not preponderance of evidence, by clear and convincing evidence that you are a danger to the children, that you are actually a substantial danger to the children, and that there are no less restrictive alternatives to placing the children in foster care. Now, if you think about that standard, that's a pretty high standard to meet. You know, most people that I meet in these cases, um, there's no way that there are substantial danger to the children. Let me give you a couple of examples um, of when this becomes almost absurd. Social worker comes out, investigates the police report that the mother and father had one domestic violence altercation 10 days ago. I'm telling you this because it's an actual case that I have right now. Social worker and her supervisor determined that the children should be detained because they're in a dangerous situation. They go to court uh, because it's a very low standard at the detention hearing. The judge agrees to detain the children, and the case is set for a jurisdictional hearing. Uh, the parents don't like the fact that the social worker is recommending that the child be kept in foster care. Here, excuse me, for the next six months, and so they have a hearing, they have a trial. Now, if you go to that trial and you're convinced to plead no contest and to submit on the dispositional phase of the case, which is placement in foster care, you're giving up your right to the most important hearing in all of the juvenile court process, and that is the dispositional hearing. Because in my opinion, it is hard, very hard for a social worker to prove that you're a danger to the child and that there are no less restrictive alternatives. So, for example, in the domestic, easy remedy for that case, the parents separate temporarily so one of them can get, them, get the children in the home. Honestly, if it was just a one-time incident and they're going to domestic violence classes and they've already started that, it's going to be pretty hard for the social worker to prove that it's going to happen again, and it's uh, clear and convincing evidence that these people are a danger to the child. Most parents are not dangers to their children. They may have done something that the social worker didn't like, the domestic violence. Perhaps they gave him a, a whipping, which is not illegal in California, um, and the social worker thinks the child and the parents should be separated. There's so much damage, in my opinion, to children who are separated from their children that I don't think our system really, they do, they look the other way. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> even if the, if the social worker proves that the parent is a danger 
the social worker still has to prove that there's no less, less restrictive alternative. Here's an easy, less restrictive alternative. A friend or a family member moves into the house with the parent to keep an eye on them so that they make sure parents are going to the domestic violence class and then make sure that the child is not in danger because there isn't any further violence between the parents. So that's an easy one. But here's another one that is rarely brought up and every county gets federal funding for this. And that's something called what they used to call here in, in Los Angeles County, preservation services. In some counties they call it, I think in Orange County they call it wraparound services. This is where a team of individuals, three, four individuals, come to your home every day and provide services to the family, such as parenting or counseling, domestic violence counseling, and they make sure and they check on the children and they make sure that uh, everything's okay. Many years ago, um, there, uh, I was asked to be a speaker at a conference. There's an annual conference in Monterey, California, of um, attorneys who defend parents. And when I explained to them what was happening in Los Angeles County uh, with respect for a drug case, um, they take the child away if the child's born under drugs. They told me, we don't do that in our county. Child with the parent, and we check on the parents we check on the, the child every day at school to make the sure the child is doing all right. Recently, um, within the past maybe year, a case came out in California, an appellate case, where the Court of Appeals said, you know, just because a parent uses drugs doesn't mean we can take the child away. There has to be some connection with the drug use and the neglect or abuse of the child. There are a lot of people that are functioning drug addicts. Now, I'm not condoning drug abuse. I'm just saying, do we really want to take this child away from the parent? You know, when children are separated from parents, it is a detrimental, it's detrimental to the child, I think, psychologically and emotionally. Some people may disagree with me, but I think that's across the board. And the other thing that happens with children in foster care is... Um, they're sometimes abused by the foster parent. Or, better yet, they're abused by one of the other foster children. So foster care is not the panacea. It's not the, the saving be-all, end-all for children. There's dangers placing children in foster care. And why not place the children with the parents and keep an eye on the parents and make sure that nothing else happens? So those are the considerations mostly for the jurisdictional and dispositional hearing. It's a little bit more complex than I can get into on the show. But if you have any questions, call in and ask them. Or if you don't want to call in, call me at my office, 888-888-6582. Make an appointment to meet with me either on the phone or in person for that free initial consultation. Call right now. Um, it's uh, area code 323, ending in 88. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Did you have a question to ask or a story to tell? I have a story to tell. Go ahead. Yes, hi. My name is Shanetta. I have been dealing with the, the Department of Children and Family Services since 2008. 
first it started back in December of 2007. My kids was detained. My oldest two was detained from the 21st of December to the 3rd of January. Then we had a um, whatever uh, the trial on January the 9th of 2008. They detained my kids again over an allegation of child 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 abuse, child neglect, and all of that. None of this stuff was, to me, was none of it uh, true. The social workers never gave me a chance to regain custody of my kids or anything like that. I did the children, the family, um, I did the reunification, I did parenting, I did everything that's acts of, everything you just talked about, I did it, you know, and I still didn't get my children's back. Two of my kids are still gone to this day. I just got temporarily custody of one of my kids back in March, and that was because the father ended up having to move out of his place so he ended up becoming homeless. That's the only reason why I have him now. And I'm still trying to get custody of my other two kids because I have two daughters, one that has a disability, and the other one just, you know, they told me I get a place, I could get the last one back. I've been in my place almost five years. My daughter's still not at home. So it's like DCFS, they don't, I agree with you, they just, they give the kids, they take the kids that not even really need to be taken, but then the ones that's parents that's on drugs and this and that, those kids get to stay at home, you know. And then when something really truly happens, the social worker turn, turn the other cheek. No, Nobody know nothing. But then a person like me that really, really fought for my kids, to get my kids back, it's like they just, whatever they read in the paper, that's what they judged me by. I never, to me, I don't remember having a distribution uh, hearing or anything. It's like every time I went in the, into the court, it's like the, it's a rush thing. Okay, this, this, that, and the other, bam, y'all out of here. And then I tried to ask my attorney, what go, what's going on? Explain to me what happened. Oh, I'll talk to you on the next time. I'll talk to you on the next time. You'll get a minute order. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's sad. It's really sad. Um, do you have a pen and a piece of paper? Not right now. I'm walking. Okay. Well, let me, let me tell you these things. You can listen to the tape of the show. You should mm-hmm. um, email, email your attorney. I don't have an attorney right her. now. The uh, DCFS well, case is closed. Did you did you lose the last two children to adoption? No, they they uh they dads have full 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 however you say it, soul and physical custody of them. I I have my unmonitored visits with them, and the dad makes it hard for me to even did get that. You know, I just, my baby okay. just had a birthday. So, I'm listening. So you can change that. You can change that. You can go to family law court and file what's called a request for order to change custody and visitation, especially if you have unmonitored visitation. 
there's no re- reason why you shouldn't have partial or 50-50 custody at the very least of the children. Has mm-hmm. anybody ever explained that to you? No. I'm doing that right now for the one that I have temporary custody of. You know, I go to, I'm going to court. As a matter of fact, I have a court date next month on the 9th. It's like the judge that we have in family law court, it's like he's going for what the dad said. They even had a, they even had a, um, a, a minors interviewer interview my son, and my son clearly told them that he does not want to go back with his father. You know, the judge is like, well, as long as the dad get a place to stay, he can come back and get my son. And my son keeps telling them that he don't want to be with him. My son is 16 years old. The other two is 10 and 12. Well, the 16-year-old, you know, when they start turning 16 or 17, in my opinion, what they wish, uh, I think the judge is supposed to take into consideration. And Not this in my judge. opinion, take into, take into strong consideration. Um, do you have an attorney representing you? Yeah, I have an attorney from the Harriet Buhai Center. Okay. And those attorneys are, 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 from what I know, pretty good attorneys. So mm-hmm. they should be helping you, and I think that they will be able to help you solve this problem regarding your custody and visitation. Uh, for the listeners that may not know what the Harriet Buhai Center is, it's a center that provides attorneys and very well-trained and experienced attorneys who represent people who are of modest means in the family law court here in Los Angeles County. So if you have a lawyer from Harriet Buhai, you have a, a good attorney. Yeah. For calling in this morning, and I want to thank you for your you sharing your story with us. It's greatly appreciated. Okay. I appreciate thank y'all you. too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. So if you have a family law case because the juvenile case is closed, you can go to family law court to get uh, to change custody or visitation. You're going to, of course, need the evidence to show the judge that things have changed and things should be different. And if you are of modest means and can't afford a private attorney, uh, there's legal aid and there's a, the Harriet Buhai Center. And I think I'm maybe pronouncing it the last name wrong. I think it's B-U-I. But you can Google it and find their name and number. I'm going to take another call from area code 941 ending in 4-4. Hello? Good morning. You're on with Attorney... Good morning. You're on with Good Attorney morning. David. Did Good morning. Good morning. Uh, uh, actually, both. Um, my niece uh, has been in the system since she's been about four years old. And she is now 16. She'll be 17 August 27th of this year. And... Um, she was, there was a couple hearings that they had. The first hearing, I had just gotten back into town and um, just found out about it. And I went to that hearing, but I wasn't included. Neither my dad, her great-grandfather, or myself were included in that hearing. We weren't asked to anything. Um, 
and it wasn't apparently it wasn't to determine what was going to happen to her but her uh, sister went forward and said that she would like her to come and stay with her 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 half sister excuse me and so the judge said because the sister was not ready to have her come and stay with her uh, because she had to move uh, nothing was decided but he but the judge said if you if you need another hearing we can have another hearing okay nothing happened since my dad and I were not included in that hearing, we wrote letters. A friend of ours and us wrote a letter to both the judge and to my niece's attorney asking to have another hearing and that we would like to have her come and stay with us until she could come, go and live with her sister. Well, the attorney never called us called me back I called several times and she never called me back or never talked to me um, the judge sent me a letter saying that we were, would not be recognized as anything because we were not at the first hearing or we were not recognized excuse me <clears throat> we were not recognized at the first hearing so time went on she was, she was actually supposed to move out of uh, the place she was in within a month and that's why the hearing took place so they they moved her um into portland i'm in oregon they moved her up to portland into this facility that she did very well at and then they brought her back down to where they're located in in albany oregon um then they all of a sudden they had another hearing. We did not know about that hearing. My niece had to tell us that very, you know, the very morning of the hearing. So we went to that hearing, and again, we were not called or allowed to speak. They were determining they wanted to send her out of state. It was like the whole the whole hearing was rigged. Um, they determined that they were going to send her to Iowa uh, to a facility there, Clorinda Academy, um, which used to be a mental institute. And not a very, you know, I guess it's an okay place, but we had asked them, please do not send her out of state because she has family here and we, we wanted to be able to visit with her. All we were told is that you can still talk to her on the phone. So the right before they were going to send her, um, we went over to visit her at the new place, which was a place where she was told that she could leave any time. So we went over to visit her and tried to encourage her to just go along with, you know, because we did not know exactly what to do. And she she decided to run away. So she's a runaway right now. And so we're trying to figure out what her rights are and what our rights are. Uh, she does not want to be in, in that situation anymore. Uh, she's had a rough, rough go of it. And 
She just doesn't want to be there anymore. She wants to be with her family, and we're trying to figure out how she can be with her family. We do not know where she's at right now. Uh, we just know that she's safe. That's all, all we've heard. And um, one woman called my friend up and, and uh, attacked her. I mean, said, you know, that we were stupid and um, that we had her and we do not have her. Um, but we'd like to, but we do not have her. We're not holding her or anything. Um, her sister would like to have her, but she doesn't have her either. Uh, we're just, we're just trying, we're just frustrated and need to know what, I mean, she's almost 17. What are her rights and what are our rights for her? Okay. Is the case in Oregon? Yes. Okay. So I'm not an Oregon attorney. But assuming that the laws are similar or the same as California, I'm going to tell you what you could do. Is that fair enough? Okay. Yes. First of all, all, let me tell you something. Have you gone to a lawyer who practices in these CPS-type cases in your area? Um, No, we haven't. We, We are trying to contact um different ones. I did call uh my niece's attorney and of course she said that she could not she could not give me any information because I'm not or she's not my lawyer. Uh, right. That's so true. Yeah. So I so I asked her, I said, Well could my niece call you? I don't really want her going in there. I don't want her entrapped or whatever. Um but I wanted to know if she could help her, you know. So I'm, I'm just. Right. Go ahead. Sorry. Did you get the feeling? Did you get the feeling that the lawyer was just not willing to help? Um, well, she says she she really cares about my niece. Um, she was very concerned about her being up in Portland with the sex trafficking. You know, that's a hub of sex trafficking here in Oregon. Um, that's been our concern, too, is, is of course, we've been checking out the background of the children's services and the sex trafficking and what's going on there. And um, because my niece is 16, and we're just wondering why they're trying to hold on to her so much and why they couldn't release her to to have her come and stay with us. I mean, it would have been just okay. a little while. Okay, go ahead. So they, there, there could be two reasons or a combination of some reasons. And, you know, I haven't reviewed the file, so I'm just going to give you my, my random thoughts. Okay. Number one, they may, they may think that where they have her place is best for her. I, I'm hoping that's the reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, sometimes financial reasons get involved in these things. And, you know, um, most states and counties do make money off of these CPS-type cases. I don't know mm-hmm. if there's some of that going on. There might mm-hmm. be something going on where, you know, they don't think you're an appropriate placement. That's why I asked you initially, had you talked to an attorney? Because if, you were, if this case were in California, there would be a lot of things you could do. You could file mm-hmm. a 388 petition, which is 
known as a JV-180. It's where you, anybody, any person, doesn't even have to be a blood relative, can file a petition to the court and ask the court to make different orders. And usually those orders concern placement of the child or visitation with the child. So what if, if I were you, what I would do is I would uh, talk to an attorney and get someone to petition the court for you um, to try to start visitation with the child so you can show the social worker and the juvenile judge that you're not just some strange person and, you know, you have a great back, background and you're good for this child. And then after the visitation has gone well, get some overnight visitation. And then after that has gone well, petition to have the child placed with you. And by that time, you've proven yourself to the social worker and to the judge that you're a safe, good environment for this child. Um, apparently, from what you're telling me, um, without saying it, the child does have some special needs, either emotionally or psychologically or physically. And, and I think that's what the social workers are probably concerned about. Now, I'm not saying that they're paying attention to this case like they should, but, you know, uh, sometimes I get the impression that, you know, they're government workers and they're just sometimes pushing papers. But if you feel strongly about your belief about this child put, being placed with you, you're going to have to take some affirmative steps. You're going to have to get an attorney to help you. You know, I, I used to give this example a lot to my clients who would come to me after uh, things went wrong in the juvenile court. And here's an example. I don't know if you remember Johnny Cochran, but he was a famous attorney here in Los Angeles County. Yeah. He became world famous with, with the OJ case. And, yeah. and here was the example. Social worker knocks at your door, comes into your house, goes to the closet, into your hidden safe, and opens it and takes out $10 million. And then takes it out and just leaves. And I say to my clients, I say, to, what would you do if that happened to you? Well, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I'd get an attorney. You guess. If, they, if mm-hmm. a social worker came to your house and stole $10 million, you'd call Johnny Cochran if he was still alive. Mm-hmm. And the same is true, excuse me, the same is true for these children. If something is happening to a child, a child is taken away from you, or you're not being allowed to visit or have custody of a child, and you think that's really important to you, you need to call a lawyer in your area and try to get some help, try to get some legal mm-hmm. assistance. You know, mm-hmm. I tell this to people all the time. Don't go to court thinking that the judge and the social worker are going to do what you think is fair because your perception yeah. of fairness and justice is probably different from real justice in the court. I have a YouTube mm-hmm. video. You might want to Google this. Google Vincent Davis, Vincent Davis, What is Justice? And I did two different YouTube videos. And basically what I say in this video is, look, you know, let's assume you're 40 years old. Most of your sense of justice is based upon your beliefs, your experiences, and what people have told you. But it's probably not real justice. And as a matter of fact, only 5% of what you believe is probably correct. Real justice is based upon laws, upon appellate cases, on court rules. And if you're not an attorney, you're not going to know that, and you're not going to know what real justice is. And, you know, just because part of what you believe is true, 5%, the other 95% is incorrect. And, you know, we go through the system thinking, well, 
the judge is not doing the fair thing. The judge is not doing the right thing. And in most cases, the judge is doing the fair thing and the right thing according to the law. And it's up to you and your attorney to convince the judge, him or her, with evidence, you know, witnesses, mm-hmm. declarations, exhibits, the social worker is doing is not accurate. See, earlier in the show, I was talking about people going to trial and not have any, any exhibits or witnesses. You're going to yeah. lose if you don't have evidence. The judge is supposed to make the decision based upon the evidence. And when the only evidence there is is what the social worker puts into the courtroom, that means social worker wins. Yeah. That's, you know, not unusual. In order to change that formula, you got to dump some evidence into the courtroom. you got to bring some witnesses. You have to bring declarations. You have to bring exhibits. And then people tell me, a lot of people tell me this, oh, Mr. Davis, I didn't know I could do that. Mm. And that's not their fault. But they're not, they're not lawyers. Mm-hmm. But I just say yeah. sometimes because a lawyer should have told you this, should have explained this to you. So that's what I'm telling you. Find a lawyer. Most lawyers will give a free initial consultation, or they might charge you twenty-five or fifty or a hundred bucks. Whatever it is, whatever it is, if this child is important to you, you need to be consulting lawyers. And if you, and you know, sometimes people get discouraged because they talk to lawyers on the phone. And it's the wrong type of lawyer. And the lawyer doesn't know how to do this type of business, Mm -hmm. right? And this is a real specialized area. It's a real niche area. But let your fingers do the walking. Remember that old Yellow Pages commercial? Let your fingers do the walking for you. Right, In Los Los Angeles County, and they may have this in your area, they have a local bar association, the local, here it is called the Los Angeles County Bar Association, Lawyer Referral Service. You can call a referral service and speak to an experienced legal assistant or paralegal, and they'll find you an attorney that does this type of law. So then you don't even have to let your fingers do the walking. You let somebody else help find you an attorney in this area. You go talk to that attorney for an initial consultation. It's either free or nominal cost. And then you can decide if that attorney can help you. Okay. And I bet you'll have better success than just, Thinking about the case in terms of what you think is fair, you know, and getting frustrated. Go get some right. help. Here's, here's, here's yeah. a question I asked somebody yesterday. In professional football and in collegiate football, 10 yards is first down. Well, how come it's not 15 yards? Why isn't it 20? Why isn't it 5 yards? Because it's just the rule. The yeah. court is the same way. The court has mm-hmm. rules of sub- substantive law. They have rules of procedure. They have rules of evidence. You know, and every state and usually county has their own local, state and local rules. So you got to be dialed into that to know how to get what you want. You can't just go to mm-hmm. court and say, hey, judge, you know, do what's right. Give me the child. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work. And then you're going to leave thinking yeah. the judge is unfair. And that wasn't the case at all. You just didn't approach yeah. the judge. Mm-hmm. Okay? So try yeah, um, to find a lawyer in your area. Okay. Well, uh, and as far as visiting with her, we've been allowed to visit with her. And so we've built, you know, we've built up that rapport. And, 
there's another woman that then was trying to get her as a foster child for like five years, and she's gone through um, their training, whatever, like three times. And each time they've, they've either moved my niece or something's happened where she couldn't get the custody of her as a foster child. And um, also, uh, my I'm I'm Tammy Patzer's sister. Oh, okay. You know, I, yeah, yeah. She's the one that told me about you, and uh, okay. so that's that's one reason I I called in, and I did I did write a comment on one of your things trying to explain everything that was going on. I couldn't find your email, and so, um, but. So would it do my niece any good to call her her lawyer and talk to her or I would hope that the lawyer would be very receptive to you as a person who is interested in this child. By the way, okay. if you ever want to or if anybody ever wants to email me, my email address is V as in Vincent dot Davis at Vincent W Davis dot com. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, I I probably have a whole bunch more things, but I um, you know, I don't want to keep you on on the line any longer because you probably have other calls coming in. But uh, I really appreciate your answering my questions and and uh, listening and giving me some advice. Well, thank thank okay. you very much oh. for calling, and I appreciate it. <clears throat> Call us okay. in a couple of weeks. Let us know what progress you're making, and do me a favor okay. and tell your sister Tammy I said hello. Okay, okay, I'm sure she's listening. <laughs> so, um, she is. Hi, yeah, we, yeah, we, I, I just, you know, we just want the best for my niece, and and it's been a little bit of scary, just uh, thinking that she's out there and not wanting to. I, I wouldn't want to be under their custody either. So she's had a rough time. But right. thank you by so the much. Way, you can call me, oh. you, by the way, you can call me at any time, 888-688-6582, and schedule a free consultation with me, okay? Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Out-of-state call from Oregon. All right, next uh, phone number that we're going to take is area code 909, ending in 38. Good morning. You're on with Vince Davis. This is Get Your Kids Back Now. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Hello? Hello? I did hear some noise. Maybe they don't want to get on the call. So I'll put them back on hold. And before I take another call, I wanted to mention earlier that when you do have this trial for the jurisdictional and dispositional hearing, make sure that your attorney and you have subpoenaed the witnesses, you know, and I like to do it at least a week before, 
Also, you can do something called an SDT. That's a subpoena ducis tecum, where you can require the, the witness to bring paperwork. So, for example, where I have a trial on Monday, and we SDT the police officer because we want the police officer to come and testify as well as bring his police report and his notes and records regarding the case. So you can make sure that these witnesses are subpoenaed and these exhibits are going to be forced to be brought to court by serving subpoenas. And you can email back and forth, hopefully, with your attorney, and you also have record that it was done, for these records and these witnesses to be um, brought to court. I'm going to try uh, one more time, area code 909, ending in 38. Good morning. Are you there? Okay. Doesn't seem like it. All right. Next call, because we're running out of time, I'm going to take a call from area code 707, ending in 07. Good morning, you're on with attorney Vince Davis. This is Get Your Kids Back Now. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Um, I have both, Mr. Davis. Good morning, how are you? Good morning, how are you doing? Go ahead. Okay, I, I've been better. Um, right now the situation is horrible. So my children were babysat uh, by an organization by the name of Olive Crest, and they had all four of my children. And during the weekend that they babysat my children, Mr. Davis, one of my twins has a break in her arm in two places, and my other twin has a broken leg. The investigator is helping them cover for what happened by adding fake witnesses to his report. And the fake witness says that I admitted to doing so, but when I asked for this witness's name so that I could subpoena them, they say that there's no witness. There's no name for me to subpoena. And, And also... With the doctor, I have a doctor's statement saying that if my children were harmed beforehand, that my baby would not have been able to hold her bottle on Saturday, and my baby was holding her bottle fine. So during this time that they babysat, I dropped off my children on Friday. Everything was fine. She sent me a picture of my children on Saturday, and my baby was holding her bottle on this Saturday. On Sunday when I asked for pictures, She said that the memory in her phone was full. Sunday evening when I asked for pictures, she said the pictures were in her husband's phone. So with that being said, on Sunday, I got no pictures of my babies. On Monday, she sends me a text message at 6 a.m. asking me to call her. So when I called her, she then began to tell me that my baby got her arm caught in the rail of her crib. And she thinks it was hypoextended. And this this phone call is completely recorded. So when that happened, I then got nervous. I'm like, what in the heck is going on? She tells me that my baby's arm is not broken, not to worry, but she's going to take my baby to urgent care. When she took my baby to urgent care, urgent care then sent them to the ER. When they went to the ER, that's when they contacted me and told me they were going to the ER, but they didn't tell me which ER. So that's when I reached out to CPS, and I told CPS my children were babysat by an organization called Olive Crest, and they just informed me that my baby's And so when I made that call to CPS, CPS basically brushed me off. When they told me what hospital they were in, I got there immediately. As soon as I got to the hospital, I requested for CPS and also law enforcement. I sat there from 4.30 all the way until 11.30. No CPS, no law enforcement. 
The officials from Olive Crest kept walking back and forth past the hall, looking in the room, but not coming inside the room. And they were walking down the hall with the doctors. And I'm thinking to myself and looking at my mom, like, how come they're not coming in here speaking with us? Because we're sitting in here with my baby and we don't know what's going on. So with that being said, Finally, they did come inside, and, and they said that um, they were going to see about having us go somewhere else. And I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and take my baby to Loma Linda University, where I know she'll be taken care of properly. So when I began to take my baby, they put their arm across the door asking if I could take my baby, if I had guardianship, if the incident occurred in my care. When they verified it didn't, I was allowed to leave, but with, with security following behind me closely, as if I had done something. And and then Corona what Hospital, hospital called. This was Corona Hospital. Okay. Corona Regional. And so so when I'm leaving, they follow behind me as if I had done something wrong. I get in my car and I go on to Loma Linda to have my baby ch- checked out properly. But Corona Hospital then called CPS on me. I requested for them to call CPS while I was there waiting, but they did not. However, they called CPS on me when I left. So with that being said, I'm at Loma Linda Hospital being checked out with my baby girl, and um, the police respond to my home, and the CPS go, the police go to my home, and CPS goes to the hospital simultaneously. So when the police go to my home, they verify that my children are safe, and that um, and that my house is clean. There's food, there's beds, and beyond. And then when the CPS comes to the hospital. She walks in at the same time that the x-ray technician walks in, and they say, your baby's arm is broken in two places. I begin to cry, and the CPS worker says, let's go to your house where are your other children. I said, they're at home. She says, well, let's go there and check on them and bring your other baby to the hospital, saying that she can't talk. So we go to my home. She does the same thing that the police do. She looks through my home, looks through my kids, everything, and then she um, tries to wake up my children, but they're, they're unresponsive because it's 3 a.m., but the, what she did put in the report is that she noticed the bond my children and I shared because when they tried, when she tried waking them up, all they wanted to do was cuddle with me and go back to sleep. So with that being said, we took my other baby girl, Jamila, to the ER so that she could be x-rayed as well. And when they did the full abuse scan on her, they said that her leg is broken. So one of my twins has a break in her arm in two places, and my other twin has a broken leg. So with that being said, now... I, my, after we were discharged from the hospital, my children and I were on the news. And when we were on the news, this investigator was on vacation. And when he came back from vacation and found out we were on the news, he was extremely upset and he screamed at me. And he said, Jasmine, why would you contact the media? You're making it look like I'm not doing my job. And I explained to him, I just want to know what's going on. And I hadn't heard from anybody. So I'm just trying to see like, if anybody else has had an issue, I, I just want help. And the way that he was talking to me, I felt offended. And at this time, I was speaking with another attorney, and this attorney told me to gather everything leading up to when I dropped off my children. Anyone who's seen me with my children up until this point, get everything. So I got letters from my children's school saying that when they saw them on Friday, the same day that I dropped them off with the caregiver, that they were in good physical and mental condition. There were no indications of pain. I got a letter from WIC. Women, infant, and children, where you get your, your baby's milk, saying that when they weighed my babies, they were in, in, they were fine because their mandated report is if anything was wrong, they would have had to call CPS. I have a letter from my apartment manager, 
And then also I have everything from the hospital, the medical records from both hospitals. And when I went out to Corona to get the medical record, they didn't want to release it to me. They had a note in the file that said, do not release to mother. But they accidentally gave it to me and asked for it back. And I told the lady that it was mixed up within my paperwork and I had an appointment to get to and I was running late. So when I got to my car and I was able to look at it, it states that my baby was brought in by uh, my, my five month old baby girl was brought in by the caregiver complains of left arm pain. And she states that my baby was moving her arm freely when dropped off until this incident occurred. And I highlighted that. And then I also have the medical record from uh, Loma Linda hospital where Dr. Sycama and three other doctors from the forensic side of Loma Linda put their names on this report saying that my baby, it would be impossible for my baby to have been holding her bottle on Saturday with the two fractures in her arm if her arm was already broken. So with that being said, I have all of this, and I take it to the, to the Lake Elsinore Sheriff's Department. When I get to the Lake Elsinore Sheriff's Department, I was told by the District Attorney's Office Special Victims in Riverside to request a watch commander. So when I requested the watch commander, um, the receptionist at the Lake Elsinore Sheriff's Department then asked for a case number. So I gave her the case number. And instead of her calling for the watch commander, she then called for the investigator. And he walked out extremely cocky and said, hey, Jasmine, what are you doing here? And I said to him, sir, I was just bringing everything in case of you. I was just bringing everything to show you. And he, then he rolled his eyes at me and said, so now you're rushing my investigation. And I said, no, sir, I was just bringing it in case if you needed it, you would already have it. And with that being said, a week and a half later, I have an order for my children to be removed from me with these two supposed witnesses that are unnamed that come from this investigator. So this, was, this happened back in April. April the 13th, I unwillfully walked my children into the CPS office and surrendered them. So I haven't had my baby since April the 13th, and it's only gotten worse since. They said that it was pending the forensics report. So now that the forensics report is completed, now we're going back and forth to court, back and forth to court, and they're requesting to terminate my parental rights as of August the 17th, sir. They're going to have the trial on August the 16th, and they want to terminate my parental rights on August the 17th. And I'm asking if we can subpoena these two witnesses, supposedly, that said these things. And there's things that I can't because there's no names. But with everything that I have, I don't know what else to do at this point, Mr. Davis. Well, hold on a second. Or do you have a pen and a piece of paper? I do, sir. Who's representing you from the court, in the juvenile court, and, and um, San, Ber Santa Bar uh, San Bernardino? San Bernardino, sir. I have the court-appointed attorney, and the thing is, this court-appointed attorney is not working for me at all. When I ask him to say certain things, Hold he does on. not. Hold on. Yes, sir. I want you to write this telephone number down. I want you to call it at 9.30 a.m. today. And you're going to tell yes, them that you spoke to me on that you spoke to me on the radio this morning, and that I said that you have to come in and meet with me. Okay. But okay. by the way, in San Bernardino, who is what department are you in? What judge? Um, judge um, um, Christopher Matthews in S five or J five. Okay. The telephone number is 
I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Some noise in the background. Yes, sir. Could you ask us to talk a little lower? Oh, it, I'm sorry. I have the triple A, Mr. Davis. What'd you say? I have the triple A. Triple eight, triple eight, six five eight two. Six five eight two. Okay, I'll definitely call them at nine thirty. Make an appointment. And if you can see me today or early uh, next week, late in the afternoon, early evening, I'd be happy to meet with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mr. Davis. Thank you very much, and we'll see if we can help you. Absolutely. Have a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. That was quite a a story. Um, I'm going to see if we can help this woman get to the uh, truth of what's happening in her case. We have about uh, five minutes left. I'm going to take one last call. Area code 562, ending in 17. Good morning, Your Honor. Attorney Vince Davis, did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Um, a little bit of both. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. Great. Um, well, you've been working with me and this is going on my third year, and uh, we've gotten two of the three kids back. One child was, uh, as you know, um, decided to be witching hour that she doesn't want to come back with the folks after she's been brainwashed. But uh, the hardest thing for me to understand, I just recently just received on Friday from the new social worker. This is like the fifth social worker. The stories get changed and changed. And uh, what I received was a authorization for me to get conjoint therapy, which my wife has been going through. And I understand why they didn't start it three years ago, but they started there. But in the language, they say they need to have treatment for sexually abusing my children. Now that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. You know, I've not been accused of sexual abuse of my children. I've not been convicted in criminal court of sexual abuse of my children. But the new social worker, they have now after three years have twisted and turned this whole case is horrified, and of course, my wife and I are still together, and uh, our two boys are just really lost without their sister, and what has happened is that with this being said, I, I don't know what to do. I don't want to sign something that's not true, but the last time, you know, a couple of years ago, I was um, writing, before I had you aboard, I was writing letters to social worker and uh, telling them where they're wrong and stuff like that, and that just made matters worse, and on top of that, a year ago, and this insane social worker had the idea that I was in the part, uh, in the in the home. You've had a restraining order, or I was close. She changed the story from place to place to place to point, and then she she got me, um, you know, somehow confused. And after spending, you know, after amassing fifteen thousand dollars in legal fees, they decided to drop the case. And uh, that's really fine and dandy, but you know, fifteen thousand dollars is a lot of money. And so, you know, I'm just seeing this new thing come out and 
I don't know what to I don't know what to do. It's just that it feels like both my wife and I are in this like world that hasn't gotten any better. Our son, our youngest son, who's twelve, is uh, really really disillusioned. He's withdrawn. It's gotten worse because he's so sick of everything. My older son is trying his best, but he's got all kinds of anxiety. What social workers have done, what social services has done, what the director of CPS has done, what the whole structure in Orange County is so corrupt, so foul, including from the judge all the way down. You got a, a motorcycle accident judge ruling a dependency court. That's his background. All he deals with motorcycle accident before he became a dependency judge. He has no compassion, no heart. I have sat in the courtroom hundreds of times. I've come with you so many times, and I've always been there. I've always gone through. I've followed everything to the letter, and I am more devastated now than I was forever. I can't get a job because they still have released my restraining orders, and they, you know, with formal probation, you can't get. So I'm like, I can't even get to work. Uh, every place I want, if any rep, rep, reputation is not going to hire me, I need to get a job that's in my profession. I have bills to pay. And so I don't know what you can do. So my question is, what do you do about this letter? Well, um, obviously, you don't have to do sexual abuse counseling. Uh, that was never an allegation. That was something that you were never convicted of or stained. the petition was never sustained about. So what we will do is we will have to contact the social worker and let them know that that won't be done. Um, your two boys are at home. Uh, you know, there was a falling out between, you know, the mother and the daughter, so the daughter didn't want to come back. But in order to have the boys at home, there's no need for you to do anything, in my opinion. So as a matter of fact, your next court hearing, in my opinion, that the case is going to be closed. So at this point, I would tell you to ignore the letter. And I don't know if we've received it. You said you received it yesterday? Yeah, Friday. I, I need to get it to you. It's just it, what it is. It's attached with emails. It's, it's like, as I told you, every book, they do a book report for every one of our meetings, you know. So um, you, you have this book where you, it's always full of lies. It's funny. They have the bold print, which you're never supposed to change from day one. But you go and compare the bold print from the previous report or 10 reports back or 50 reports back, and you see all the changes that they make. They are very instrumental of putting things in there. And I know that we tell that we don't consent to the report. I've written rebuttals, but they never get sent into the court. So, you know, I, I don't want to rock the boat, Vince. And you know me, I, I've been following you to the letter. So um, I will, you know, email this to you, send you the attachment of this form and and uh, let you go over it. But it's just, it was just a shocker to get me on, 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 on Friday. I just, um, anyway, I know you're getting close on your time. It's 8.59, so. Bob, I'm running out of time. What I want you to do is sure. I want you to email me that so I can look at it. And I'll give you a call tomorrow, and we'll discuss it, okay? Okay, um, thank you. Thank you, Vincent. Thank you everything you do. Thank Go ahead. I want to thank everybody for listening and calling in this morning, and we'll see you next week on the radio. Next week, we're going to be talking about the six-month review hearings and what you can do to make sure that you can win your six-month review hearing. Thank you.